This is an ABC podcast. In the US, political advisers often become minor celebrities. But no presidential campaign has created more household names than Donald Trump's. So in March 2016, when Donald Trump became the most likely person to win the Republican nomination for president, he had to choose the best and brightest minds to help him lead. Mr. Trump, welcome to the Washington Post. Thank you. Thank you for making time. Trump had a big interview lined up. Thank you for making time to meet with our editorial board. Um, New building. Yes. This is very nice. He was asked who he had in mind for his foreign policy team. Any that you can start off with this morning with us? Well, you know, I hadn't thought in terms of doing it. If you want, I could give you some of the names. I, I wouldn't be delighted. I wouldn't mind. He really, really, really should have said no. Okay, you ready? Well, are you? I'm Matt Bevan, and this is Russia If You're Listening. It's a podcast about the investigation into Russia's interference in the US election. Today, the first known link between the Trump campaign and Russia. Just how close was the so-called coffee boy George Papadopoulos to Russian spies offering dirt on Hillary Clinton? And how close was he to Donald Trump? Just a few days before the Washington Post interview, Donald Trump's advisers had brainstormed five names they wanted to be on his foreign policy team. The names hadn't been vetted. They weren't big on vetting the Trump campaign. And there were some odd choices. Trump's team said that they didn't have a lot of applicants for the job, but they still should have waited longer before announcing their picks publicly. But Donald Trump was keen to seem organised and threw the five names out there. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. One was, by all accounts, a good pick. Two... Waleed Ferris, who you probably know. Uh, the Honourable Joe Schmitz. ...were mildly controversial, but the last two have gone on to haunt the president ever since. One was this guy. Carter Page, PhD. This guy deserves a whole episode. I'll get to him next week. The other is this man. George Papadopoulos. Uh, He's an oil and energy consultant. Excellent guy. Enter George Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos is a young bloke. When Trump put him on the list, he was just 30 years old. His LinkedIn page is still public. If, you know, you want to employ him for something, you can go check it out. On it, he has listed one of his former roles as US representative at the 2012 Geneva International Model United Nations, which, as far as I can tell, he never actually, you know, attended. But that's no surprise, because the Washington Post says that Papadopoulos was quite fond of fluffing his resume. So we actually don't know how he landed a gig advising Donald Trump on foreign policy matters. His only real qualification seems to have been that he was part of Ben Carson's team, one of the guys Donald Trump beat to get the nomination. Soon after Papadopoulos joined the campaign, he flew to London and started setting up meetings. One of them was with a person known as The Professor. This is our first step into proper spy stuff, right down to the mysterious pseudonym. Several people have referred to this guy as stepping right out of a John le Carre spy novel. George Papadopoulos' connection to the professor is through George's wife, Simona. 
I never understood who he is exactly. She worked for the professor before she met her now husband, and even she found him mysterious. He strikes like a lobbyist, somebody networking people from different governments, but everything but an academic. While you were working for him, do you think, did you think at the time he could be helping Russian spies? I definitely would not be surprised to learn his. Do you wish George never met him? Absolutely, yes. The professor's real name is Joseph Mifsud. Originally from Malta, he is in his 50s, slightly balding at the front and tan. He travels around Europe a lot, moving from job to job at universities, lecturing on diplomacy and international relations. At the time, he had postings in Scotland and in London. And apparently, he has high-level contacts with the Russian government. How he got these connections and exactly who they are with isn't really clear, but having non-Russian intermediaries doing Russian spy business is quite common. All we know for sure is that the professor is a man in the know and a big fan of the Putin government. Here he is talking up Russia's diplomatic achievements during a visit to Moscow in May 2016. Diplomatic tactics of the Russian Federation proved to be extremely useful. And I think the tact of uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov and his team is exceptional Mm -hmm. in this sense. And this is something that I'm saying not just here, but I say it in London Mm -hmm. as well. So this is something which I think I believe in. The professor reached out to Papadopoulos and told him that Vladimir Putin, the Russian president himself, was keen to set up a meeting with the Trump campaign. The professor promised George Papadopoulos Russian dirt on Hillary Clinton. That dirt was emails stolen from the Democratic Party. This was, as far as we know, the first time anyone from the Trump campaign became aware that the Russians were hacking into campaign emails of their political opponents. In other words, this is the first evidence of a link between Russian intelligence efforts to influence the presidential election and Team Trump. If you are an American and you become aware that a crime is being committed which affects other Americans, you are meant to call these guys. Hello, you've reached FBI headquarters. If this is an emergency, please hang up and dial 911. If you don't call the FBI, you might find yourself charged with being an accessory or a co-conspirator to the crime. For internet crimes, press 2. George Papadopoulos did not call the FBI. The big question is, was George acting alone? If he was just taking these meetings of his own volition and not telling anyone about it, then it's possible that he's in trouble. But the broader Trump campaign isn't to blame. Donald Trump can't be expected to keep tabs on what every single person on his campaign is doing at all times. But Simona, George's wife, says he wasn't working alone. He was uh, act- actively uh, contributing to develop the foreign policy um, strategies for uh, the campaign and he didn't take any initiative on his own without campaign approval. If Team Trump was telling him to take these meetings and George was reporting back what he found, that is a very different story. So, who told George Papadopoulos to meet the professor? Donald Trump's team likes to say that Papadopoulos has never met with anyone high up in the campaign. 
As far as we can tell, Papadopoulos never even knew who Trump was, or you know, never even had met with the president. He did, though. Donald Trump's Instagram account posted a photo of Trump and Papadopoulos having a chat. Chairing that meeting with Trump and Papadopoulos was the now US Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who was in charge of foreign policy for the Trump campaign. He was kind of George's boss. In November last year, Sessions testified under oath that Papadopoulos was acting alone. I believe that I wanted to make clear to him that he was not authorized to represent the campaign with the Russian government. I pushed back against his suggestion that I thought uh, may have been improper. Three people who were at that meeting have told the FBI that's not true. In fact, according to the book Russian Roulette, Papadopoulos says that not only did Jeff Sessions not push back, but Donald Trump himself encouraged him to investigate the professor's connections. As an aside, it's worth pointing out that the professor appears to have disappeared and hasn't been seen for months. So, how did Papadopoulos' little chats with the professor get found out? Well, because of a boozy night in London. The Kensington Wine Rooms are found in one of London's posh, swanky inner suburbs. It's a stone's throw from Kensington Palace and surrounded by embassies. The Ritzy Hangout is known for a special wine dispensing system, which allows patrons to choose from up to 40 wines. It's like a very fancy, very expensive vending machine. And this is the location that George Papadopoulos sat down for a drink with Australia's High Commissioner to the UK, Alexander Downer. Now, everywhere but Australia, this is referred to as a meeting between Papadopoulos and a top Australian diplomat. But in Australia, the fact that he was meeting with Alexander Downer seems very odd. Alexander Downer almost became the Prime Minister of Australia in the early 90s. You are one of the most anxious, self-righteous people I have come across, always preaching as though to say that people who don't agree with everything you say are somehow racist, bigoted and immoral. He is an extremely well-known figure in Australia for his penchant for bad photo ops and doing things like singing karaoke. He was the foreign minister of Australia for 11 years. He was also once photographed in fishnet stockings willingly for reasons too complicated to go into here. But my point is that Alexander Downer is not the sort of person you would expect would be meeting with a low-level Trump campaign advisor in a London bar. Ooh, I want to take you to the Philippines, Cambodia. Come, I'm pretty mama. Donald Trump hadn't even been elected yet, and few thought he would be. But meet they did. However, Alexander Downer doesn't want to talk about it. I want to start by asking you, did you meet with George Papadopoulos in the Kensington Wine Bar in May of 2016? And if so, what did he say to you? Well, let, let me be blunt about this. Of course, it's been widely reported that I did. Um, but I don't think talking about it is going to help our relationship with the United States or um, make any contribution that will advance Australia's interests. All right. Well, can I ask you this very simply? Have you been interviewed... Uh, or questioned or expect to be interviewed or questioned by the FBI or the Mueller investigation? 
I mean, it's exactly, um, exactly the sort of question that I definitely wouldn't answer. But even without Alexander Downer answering any questions, we know quite a bit about the meeting. You have to start with Papadopoulos is trying to make contact. This is Matt Apuzo from the New York Times, and you'll have to excuse the audio. He spoke to me on the phone on New Year's Eve just after he broke this story. It's not uncommon for people in foreign embassies to try to make contact with the campaigns, to try to understand and report back to uh, their country what, you know, what they can expect from political campaigns in the United States. So he was making the rounds, and he got introduced to the Australians through a rather roundabout way, through somebody he knew in the Israeli embassy. The two were happily drinking when Papadopoulos told Downer some seriously spicy gossip. George Papadopoulos, weeks before this meeting, had contacts with one of his Russian intermediaries who had told him the Russians had dirt on Hillary Clinton and that they had thousands of her emails. And this is well before the emails became public. And we now know that in this you know, night of heavy drinking in London, George Papadopoulos let slip that the Russians had political dirt on Hillary Clinton. This made Downer sit up and take notice. Now, Alexander Downer is not a spy per se, but anyone who has ever worked in an embassy will tell you that basic spy training is pretty standard practice. Now, imagine you're sitting there in the Kensington wine rooms. You hear about these emails from a young man you've just met and think, well, that's interesting, but it seems unlikely. So you fold that information away in your mind and don't think any more about it. And then the emails that the young man told you about start popping up on WikiLeaks. Now, immediately, the Australian government didn't, I think, see the significance of that. But later in the summer, in July, after those emails started to become published on the internet, the significance of that became clear. And the Australian government went to their counterparts in the United States and said, hey, we have some information you should know about George Papadopoulos and the Trump campaign. That was the spark that began the Trump-Russia investigation. It is such a significant moment that it's caused some pro-Trump commentators to allege that Alexander Downer was part of an elaborate sting operation, like this guy, a conservative commentator who Donald Trump is a fan of, called Dan Bongino. Downer, we already know through his... um. Australian government uh, program he supported, they transferred $25 million to the Clinton Foundation while he was a representative in diplomatic fashion for the Australian government. We know there's a pre-existing relationship there. All of a sudden, he knows this woman who's related to, uh, excuse me, who is having some kind of relationship with Papadopoulos and a meeting gets set up in a London bar. Folks, it's just beyond odd how many, you know, coincidences we've seen in this. Now, I don't know Alexander Downer personally. I have never met him. But I will eat a Make America Great Again hat if he is a secret spy for Hillary Clinton. But back to Papadopoulos. Don't forget, according to Trump, he has never even met the guy. I I never heard of Papadopoulos. He never showed up at Trump Tower, never had any interaction with any of the campaign leaders around me. He was the coffee boy. But Papadopoulos' wife, Simona, says that's not true. George Papadopoulos has everything but a coffee boy. Uh, He's an outstanding personality, is very educated, articulated, and uh, uh, even his contribution to the campaign has been much more relevant than bringing coffee. And the New York Times' Matt Apuzo says there are emails to back that up. He wasn't somebody making key campaign decisions, 
But he also wasn't a coffee boy. I mean, he had contacts and communications through the campaign. We have emails that show he was in touch with senior campaign officials throughout the campaign and on into the transition. So he wasn't the coffee boy that the White House is trying to make him out to be, but he wasn't the key figure in the campaign. Uh, We shouldn't overstate that. In January last year, the FBI asked Papadopoulos about what he'd been up to, and he lied to them, which, as we know, is a very bad idea. Meeting with Russians is not a crime, but lying about it to the FBI definitely is. In July last year, he arrived at Dulles Airport in D.C. to find the FBI waiting there to quietly arrest him. He pleaded guilty to lying and, facing a jail sentence, did a deal with the feds. He's now telling Special Counsel Robert Mueller, the guy investigating Trump's links to Russia, anything he wants to know and more. The interesting thing here is there was a three-month gap between Papadopoulos's quiet arrest and news coming out that he'd been nabbed and released. So, what happened in the intervening time? What this says to me is that Papadopoulos, between July and October, was wearing a wire. Here's CNN's Jeffrey Tubin. He was recording conversations secretly with people who are subjects and targets of this investigation. That's the only reasonable explanation of what's in those court papers. If he was wearing a wire this summer and fall, think about that, just weeks ago, that is a whole new chapter of possibilities in this investigation and potentially a very, very big deal. A very big deal indeed. George Papadopoulos could have been spying on President Trump's associates for Robert Mueller for months. Coming up next week, a binder full of microphones. Carter Page, PhD. A man who once described himself as an informal advisor to the staff of the Kremlin. A man Russian spies were very interested in turning into an intelligence asset. A man those spies would later call an idiot, and a man who really shouldn't go on TV so much. Here now, my sit-down with totally not suspicious, Carter Page. Carter, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Jordan. It's great to be recorded and and actually know where the microphones are. Yeah. In fact, our sound guy didn't even have to put a mic on you. He just took other mics off of you. That's next on Russia, if you're listening. 